I'm not a schismatic psychopath. I'm a high-functioning traditional sociopath. Today is Monday, November 22nd, 2021, the Feast of St. Cecilia. Or at least that's how I say it with my Midwest accent. Some people say Cecilia or Cecilia. It is also the anniversary of the death of one of our former U.S., our perhaps only Catholic um, president. I, I know the, ah, the media well says said. the current one is Catholic, but I, I, I think we can take uh, exception with that. Yeah. Um, on, multiple, on multiple counts, we can take exception with indeed, that. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Uh-huh. Um, this is a slightly unusual podcast from my perspective. I'm going to announce the opening here and then toss it over to Anne. And uh, we have Dr. Mazza as well, and we're going to talk about the advent of the anti-popes. And then, <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oddly enough, Super Nerd didn't even have to use any digital special effects to do that. He just has the ability to do that of his own volition. So it's uh, it's impressive. We need to do that. I mean, like Dr. Beep does his Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Super Nerd, you need to you need to use your echoey. Um, uh, Wizard of Oz. Voice. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We need to get the get the script from the Wizard of Oz and have you just recite all the key bits. Yeah. So here we are, Doctor Matza. Um, first of all, um, this this episode. I mean, this is a serious episode, but the timing of it is also very intentional because next Sunday, as we as we know, this previous Sunday was the last Sunday of the liturgical year. Next Sunday, the 28th, <clears throat> we start a brand new year in the church, first Sunday of Advent, and as is tradition, you are doing an Advent mini course on the Sundays in Advent, and this year, it's about, and I can't do the special effect the way Super Nerd does. <laughs> it's 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 about the anti popes, of which there have been dozens and dozens. So um, this episode is dedicated to kind of doing. I mean, we're not giving away all of the fun secrets of your mini course coming up, but we are. We're definitely pitching your mini course, and it's just an incredibly important topic because we're in the throes of. Um, the most horrific anti-papacy ever, um, and we'll, we'll kind of discuss why during this episode. So, kind of, kind of give us a little, a little overview of what you'd like to accomplish in this in this hour. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, like you said, I don't want to give the game away, so this is going to kind of be just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, goodness, where to start? But well, it, you know, last Advent we did. Uh, the advent of Christ and the advent of the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And I prefaced my uh, four classes by saying, we don't want to be you know, hung up on the sensational. We, we want to get closer to Christ. That's the whole point of Advent is to prepare our hearts for, uh, for Christmas and to receive Christ. And that's why it's a semi-penitential uh, season. Mm -hmm. And of course, listening to Dr. Mazza for over four hours is going to be a, a good form of penance, I would say. <laughs> Uh, so it gets you in that Advent spirit. Um, but no, seriously, um, so, you know, anti-popes has this sort of sensational aspect to it. But really what we want to do is uh, get, be, get beyond the hype and uh, get to a deeper understanding of the, of the church, which is the body of Christ. And so by getting to know his spouse, we're going to get to know him better. Mm -hmm. So that's my ultimate goal with this. But as you say, we are in the midst of the whirlwind right now. Yeah. And... Um, my fourth and final Advent class will focus on our current circumstances. Okay. Um, but... Um, Merry Christmas, eh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost, the ghost of Christmas present, and then the ghost of the future. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> hopefully, we'll all wake up on Christmas morning looking for Tiny Tim and... Holding and ordering a, big, a goose, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Things can, things can change. Jorge Bergoglio things. may wake up Christmas morning and be a different person. God, well, God willing. Yeah, God willing. <laughs> that's, that's literally what we pray for every day, that he repent, revert to Catholicism someday, not anytime soon, but in God's time that he die in the state of grace and Amen. someday achieve the beatific vision. We literally pray for this every day, and we do it in the wrap-up of every podcast. Now, why, why I'm super jazzed about this 
And I think this survey of all the previous anti-popes, not only are people going to be surprised at just how many there were, but, and, and I checked with you about this before I wrote the little advertisement blog post that I did for your mini course um, that was up for a week or so. And um, I asked you specifically, is it a fair statement to say that Jorge Bergoglio is the only non-Catholic um, anti-pope? And the answer to that question that you confirmed with me, and I suspected that this was the case, was yeah, he's the only one who's manifestly not a Catholic. He's the only one who is at war with the church, who is trying to destroy the church. There, I think a lot of people maybe have in their minds that because a man was an anti-pope, that that somehow implies that he hated God, he hated the church, he was at war, you know, he was at war with, with God and all this, and nothing could be further the truth. I, I think people just don't realize how incredibly political all of this was. Um, there's, a, I see in your little notes that you sent over that hmm. there's one who had a particularly interesting, um, shall we say, career choice, <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, again, a person can be can be awful and but they're still catholic and they're not trying to destroy the church and right. the other thing and i i bet you're going to hit on this too history states that quite a few of them were actually good administrators and good in, in their capacity as the putative uh monarch of the papal states w would you say all of that is correct Yes, everything that you just uh, iterated there is is true. And no, I, there are almost forty antipopes. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, that's a good question. How what what number yeah. are you going with? What what number of antipopes well, do you I use? Haven't, yeah, I'm, I haven't got my final number down yet, but I will by the by by Advent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I can tell you is, and I'll, you know, to add to the mystery here, uh, no, none of these popes was not Catholic. Um, yeah. So. You won't find an analog to Bergoglio in any of these anti-popes. Yep. But there is a mysterious figure in the history of the papacy Ooh. who uh, does match up quite well. Uh, but I'll just leave oh. that as a mysterious uh, echo in the air there. Which, Ooh, uh, intriguing, <laughs> intriguing. All right, well, I'm yeah. already, I'm, um, I'm intrigued already, but, all right. But you're right, no, that there, uh, many of them were not evil, in fact, uh, my first Sunday of Advent class is going to be devoted to the first anti-pope, who's actually a canonized saint. That's right, canonized saint. Wow. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, a martyr and um, yeah. Misunderstandings happen, you know. I mean, <laughs> that that almost kind of echoes the situation with Saint Vincent Ferrer, who mm -hmm. temporarily mistakenly backed an anti-pope. But St. Vincent Ferrer was so holy and so good that even in the phase, in that window of time in which he was backing a later to be proven anti-pope, um, and he, he corrected his position, you know, once the evidence came to light for him, right. he was still performing miracles while he was backing an anti-pope, which implies certainly that St. Vincent Ferrer, when he said his mass, was saying the name of an anti-pope during the Teigeter. Exactly. and was still performing miracles. So I, I love that example because it goes to the question of, well, you guys, Anne, and, and Nonveni Mark, and Dr. Matza, and all you people, how dare you go to a mass wherein you know for a fact that um, Bergoglio is commemorated mistakenly? Like, hey, it, this has happened before, and the sanctity of the priests who are, who are misled in an air on this, um, I mean, obviously, I think that this <laughs> the situation is a little bit different. Um, we have all kinds of evidence that that St. Vincent Ferrer certainly did not have. Right. But but there's it's not this automatic disqualifier. The, the mass is invalid. The person who does this is going to burn. And no, 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 no. And, and you can you can go to these masses and, you know, our Lord understands where you are where the priest is, I mean, that's, that's why he's the judge and we aren't, because he knows, he knows everyone's heart and he knows where everyone's motivations and intellectual understanding of all this lies. So I love the St. Vincent Ferrer, Ferrer example to all of us.
Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not not to get sidetracked and go down another alley, but um, I've been reading the new book that just came out by Father Kramer uh, about uh, the case against Bergoglio. Mm -hmm. And one of the, one of the points he makes in there is that, um, you know, th those people that that believe that uh, Benedict is still the rightful pope uh, are, are in no way in schism. And uh, the, the whole Salsa Cisco theory about, uh, well, you know, the there's this yeah. peaceful and gen <laughs> general yeah. acceptance. Right. Um, he's got several arguments in his book against that to blow that out of the water. And mm -hmm. you know, one of those, one of the arguments is, he says, the definitive and final settling of cases involving uh, matters of faith and morals are reserved to the Pope's infallible judgment. And so, before such a final judgment is made, the case remains without a definitive judgment. Uh, and of course, if, if you have a doubtful pope, then you can't get a final judgment. So, uh, it, it, we don't actually right. have a situation of universal peaceful acceptance. Because you, you the, no, I mean, it, as we're go going to find find out when I talk about the the anti popes of the Great Western Schism, um, you can't um, have a a final judgment just based on what the bishops and cardinals are saying even if they mm -hmm. meet in a council. Uh, I'm going to be talking about, uh, especially in Ooh. my third Sunday of Advent class, uh, Gaudete uh, will be, uh, was that's, that's the second Sunday, isn't it? Well, anyway, the, the, for the third Sunday of Advent, we'll be talking about the Council of Constance, which uh, was a, a collection of uh, uh, bishops and cardinals brought together by an antipope, although mm -hmm. that's not how it ended. Uh, and so, even a council can can sometimes not have the definitive authority to say that there's universal acceptance of something. Right. In fact, and the Council of Constance taught heresy, which is an interesting thing we'll get into. And it was it was um, Constance and Lateran V, I think, are the two primary examples of failed ecumenical councils. Oh yeah, yeah. That I mean, it was just. And um, I can I can think of a third that will at some point be <laughs> added to that list, obviously. Um, but the other, my other favorite, favorite, favorite anti-pope story. Speaking of um, the universal peaceful acceptance nonsense, is the wonderful, wonderful tale of Saint Bernard of Clairvaux and anti-pope Anacletus II. And then after him, he reigned for eight years, uncontested, in total peace backed by all but one cardinal in Rome. He died, and then they elected another anti-pope, Victor IV, anti-pope Victor IV. And it was St. Bernard of Clairvaux <clears throat> who went down to Rome and just looked at the evidence and straightened that whole thing out to the point well, that Victor IV went to the Lateran. The true pope was ensconced in the throne in the Lateran by St. Bernard of, Bernard of Clairvaux, and anti-pope Victor IV took off the papal tiara and crawled on his hands and knees and kissed the foot of the true pope, and problem solved. So, I mean, the history of all of this is actually really, really cool. And it's, it's even stranger than you think, Anne, because I've got some really mind-bending stuff about the whole issue between... Uh, anti-Pope Anacletus and Pope Innocent, who was backed by uh, St. Bernard. And I'm going to be dealing with that on the second Sunday of Advent. Ah, and okay. uh, man, you better make sure the roof is nailed on tight because uh, I'm just going to lay some stuff out there and uh, ask rational people to investigate because uh, I, <laughs> I don't know how much more I should say, but uh, it's, it's, it's uh, PG-13 and... Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh boy! Well, oh not, not not in a sexual way, but in in terms of uh, in terms of uh, not what you would expect. It's like a M Night Shyamalan thing. Ooh, <laughs> my goodness! You're 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 a good salesman. <laughs> <laughs> I try. You know, I was recently on uh, Timothy Flanders' Meaning of Catholic. And I got the impression that maybe I gave too much away. I don't know, because uh, uh, I haven't got quite the signups that I was looking for in the immediate aftermath of my uh, uh, YouTube podcast. But I, hopefully, hopefully our podcast will remedy that. Hopefully. And, um, you know, this year, this year's crazy with mm. inflation and a lot of people losing their jobs or about yeah. to lose their jobs that disposable incomes this Christmas, I think, are um, yeah. are reduced, shall we say. So... But, you know, don't worry, we're not, we're not, we're going to do the Advent, and then afterwards, I think all the stuff that's really important, 
um, it it'll come out. It'll come out. And yeah. every, the truth always out. So yeah. Amen. Yep. All right. What else? What other? What other little breadcrumbs should we <laughs> we drop here? Um, let's see. In your little show notes, let's see. We have bullet point number one: anti popes found in every epoch of church history: Roman persecution, age of Christendom, modern era. How about that? It's almost like this just keeps happening over and over again. That this isn't terribly unique. We just kind of think it's unique. Yeah, no, I find it fascinating. I mean, we have two thousand years of church history. And really, in every major epoch, you've got anti-popes. Um, mm -hmm. So di completely different social circumstances and historical happenings, uh, c you know, generate anti-popes. It's, it's just right. amazing. Um, and, and also, uh, so another common thing that I've found is e either you, you get anti-popes either because of uh, bishops behaving badly or cardinals behaving badly, or you get it because of emperors and kings trying to, uh, yeah, you know, attack the papacy or or supplant the papacy. Uh, and, and you know that, yeah. in a certain sense, that's what's going on here too. It's just mm -hmm. that the players, it's not emperors and kings, but it's the modern day equivalent of that, which is right. which is the oligarchs, basically, um, the Freemasonic oligarchy, the New World Order. They they clearly clearly had a hand in all of this garbage, the, the, you know, Hillary Clinton and the Podestas calling for the Catholic spring. And mm -hmm. this, this has been in the works politically. Um, and, you know, I've made the point that Freemasonry, since, since it's, it's founding, it's establishment as Freemasonry in 1717 in London, um, its agenda was to eliminate all, um, all monarchies, all Catholic monarchies, That's right. with an eye towards the real ultimate goal of taking out the monarch of Catholic monarchs, which is the Pope. And that's exactly what this Bergolian operation and this Bergolian anti-papacy and the, the, the coercing out, the, the forcing out, you know, for whatever quantity of force, um, was used and and God will judge that to to get to get Pope Benedict Ratzinger out mm -hmm. so that they could execute this this operation with anti Pope Bergoglio this usurpation so yeah yeah no I, I I recently read somewhere how I mean talk about a literal attack on you know throne and altar or or crown mm -hmm. and altar when P Pope Pius XI was uh, crowned I mean he wore a literal triple tiara. And oh, they all the, did. They all and, did until Paul the Sixth. Yes, yes. And it was on the altar of um, Saint John Lateran, mm -hmm. and then um, uh, let's. I think it was uh, John the Twenty Third who had his ceremony outside uh, because he wanted to open up the windows and you know let the sun shine in. And I'm about to sing the song from Hair. Um, <laughs> oh dear. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll have to wait for my American Idol debut, or at least the advent with anti-popes for me to <laughs> do my rendition of that. Uh, yes, but, friends, uh, there there is singing in almost every uh, matzah class session. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but John the twenty third, he had it, you know, kind of outside in St. Peter's Square with the triple tiara, mm -hmm. and then uh, by the time we get to, to Paul the sixth, uh, he gets rid of the, the papal tiara altogether. He uh, was crowned, but then afterwards, yeah. while while he is is pope, and he was the pope, um, he did this huge, ostentatious, horrible mm -hmm. thing, where inside St. Peter's at the altar of the chair, he went in and did this thing where he he took the tiara off and put it down on the on the altar and like we're not doing this anymore, and it was absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. And so yep. when John Paul II comes out, um, he's not wearing a crown. Uh, he's got the mazzetta. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, you know, when a certain uh, Argentinian came out. <laughs> he's uh, not naked as a jaybird, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have bathrobes that are more ornate, more ornate than that. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was having a conversation with someone earlier today, and, um, 
you know, talking about JP2, and one of the things that just just occurred to me, this is a little bit of a tangent, but we've got time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a podcast after all. If you A podcast without tangents is just boring. So um, JP2, it occurred to me, I need to look at the calendar and calculate the exact number of days. But if you look at the date of the formal promulgation of the Novus Ordo Mass, the first Sunday of Advent, so December, you know, beginning of December, end of November of 1969, mm -hmm. until the date that JP2 was elected. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna be um, eight years and change, because it was, he, he right. that happened in, JP2 happened in 78, JP1 and JP2 happened in yep. 78. So we're, we're looking at eight years and change. I think, I want to say that Bergoglio has now been, um, has now usurped for longer than the amount of time between the promulgation of the Novus Ordo Mass and the, um, and the beginning of the papacy of JP2. And the reason why that struck me is because, I mean, just think about for, you know, those of us listening, most of us are adults and, you know, time, the passage of time obviously gets quicker and quicker the older you get, but right, um, right. but it's just bizarre to think that when JP2 came to power, less time had passed than what than that night of March 13th, 2013, yeah. that many of us will never forget. JP2 could have walked the Novus Ordo back. And oh, yeah. there is a conspiracy theory that's, that says that JP1 was killed because he, he made it clear mm -hmm. that he intended to do that to some degree. Um, I, that's a conspiracy theory, and I, I haven't looked into that enough. And I think that's one of those things that we won't know till the right. general judgment what happened there. But um, it well, just it, struck yeah. me. I mean, you think you think that it was this monolithic thing that the Novus Ordo was just, oh my gosh, it was just completely, totally um, set in stone. There was no right. way they could walk it back. And you know, in historical terms, and now we have a firm way of of measuring that relative to our own lives. It was it was a blink of an eye historically. He it's, could have it, walked it back. Yeah. In fact, communion in the hand um, was not imposed in America until that very year that he became um, Pope, the fall of 78, you know, mm -hmm. spring of 79. I know that because that's the spring of 79 is when I made my first Holy Communion. And uh, <clears throat> my parents, they literally yanked me out of Catholic Sunday school uh, because everybody in my class was going to be receiving in the hand. And they said no way that they were going to allow me to do that. And uh, they got all kind of letters, you know, from the parish council and and so-and-so saying, oh, you're going to psychologically scar this child for life if you don't let him take a in the hand with the rest of his classes. Well, I, oh, I guess that's, that's an explanation. Oh, that's what happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> now we have the explanation. There, it all makes sense now. <laughs> no, this child not, is going to be railing again. He's going to be a schismatic I, if you I, let I, him do this. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm not a schismatic psychopath. I'm a high-functioning traditional sociopath. <laughs> this, this, I need to use that. <laughs> that's the cold, that is that down. the cold open? That's the cold open, yeah. <laughs> Wait, scribble, 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 scribble. <laughs> I need but, to have uh, business cards made up with that on it. <laughs> but I, I you know, as so first what, hap what ultimately happened with your with your first Holy Communion? Oh well, my my mother wound up taking me to the parish where she grew up, which still had an altar rail and still had this um, old Irish priest who uh, you know gave it to me, uh, gave our Lord to me on the tongue. Um, so, you know, I, I was in grave danger of, of being infected by what was going on in the church at that moment. In fact, not just in the church, but obviously in the world at that moment. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one, this one, one kooky memory, God forgive me, I have of my first Holy Communion because I was a young child immersed in that environment, even though I had very good traditional parents, is that for some strange reason on, on the day of my Holy Communion, I was looking up at the baldacchino, you know, above the, uh, above the altar, and I don't know why, but just for a few seconds, I was thinking about Mork from Ork being up there with Mindy, you know how, you know <laughs> yes. how, they, used to, how they used to pop around, and, 
So, you know, even a More good traditional... More calling Orson. Come in, Orson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's God, how pervasive... God, you, your conception of God was Orson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got, a better, I got a better one than that. I, my mother told me, you know, uh, at, at my first Mass or my second Mass, well, you know, um, uh, th- this, is the consec- this is the part of the Mass called the consecration. And, and you can see the priest on the altar, and, 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 and he's going to say these words. And when he finishes saying these words, Jesus is going to appear on the altar. And so I, was, I, I, I you know, shut my eyes, and, I, and I, I counted to three. And when I opened them again, uh, the, the guy who was saying, the priest who was saying the Mass was an old Irish priest named Father Tully. But when I opened my eyes again, uh, Father Richards, this big, plump pastor, came out. <laughs> and I... I <laughs> And for a few seconds, I was like, wait a minute, is that, that's our Lord? <laughs> Jesus let himself go, put on a plane. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> she said he was going to appear on the altar. And, but, oh, uh, <laughs> anyway, but oh, uh, these are previews, by the way. Uh, I can give, give a plug for my spring class, which is going to be church history from 1973 to 2013. So, um, Ooh. Th- we'll, we'll and, have then, that. and then, and then we'll next fall be or summer or maybe summer you mm. could do you could do 2013 to wherever it is we are by next to armageddon dun, 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 dun. <laughs> wouldn't it be something if if our lord returned in glory just after you finished the last class <laughs> at like, the rate we're I was going just waiting for you Matza. i was just waiting for you <laughs> <laughs> At the rate we're going, and I think, uh, you know, God is very obliging. I think that might happen. That might happen. <laughs> well, we'll all be prepared. You'll make us. You'll make us all the better for it. So. Oh, I will try. <laughs> oh, I man. will be your guide. We're having, we're having way too much fun. On this <laughs> too much. It's a serious like, topic. I was thinking this was going to be all serious, <laughs> academic, and it's just—it's a big improv stand-up routine, basically. <laughs> We should tour. I think it was a bad idea for Super Nerd and Mark to leave us alone to do this podcast. I know. Oh, Matza, I just had an idea. You and I, we should do a... a, 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 We should do a Lenten cruise this year. (laughs) That's worse than Forrest. Oh, all right. Now that we're telling true stories, I got to tell you this one. Uh, super nerd can, can, can clean it up if it's if it's not ready for prime time. Okay, okay. You remember Father Benedict Cashel, right? Of the yeah, of course, uh, Princess Friars of, yeah. of the Renewal, and you know, he was a general, you know, a generally orthodox person. He had some ecumenia going on, but anyway, he uh, I, I went to his good. I guess it was a Good Friday service. And it was up in Yonkers or somewhere up in Westchester. And Tatiana and I were there with a bunch of friends. And we're sitting in like the third or fourth pew. And there's a lady sitting next to me on my right. And this lady is straight out of central casting. This old black lady with, with, a, with a hat and... and, and um, Ooh, church hat. Black lady it, church hat. Exactly. Yes, yeah. And every time that Father Grishel would say something, and you know, we have to have reverence. She'd be like, oh, God bless you. Hallelujah. That's what it is. <laughs> now, she would do this. She was doing this for 10 minutes straight. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> preach it now. Yeah. And <laughs> after, after every other sentence, the poor Father Grishel was saying, and it, it was tolerable. I was controlling myself. And then my friend John, he, 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 you know, he kind of uh, bumps Tatiana in the elbow and says, Tell Edmund to shut up. <laughs> and she passes the message to me. John says to be quiet. And I lost it. I just completely, I, I couldn't. I, I realize now in hindsight, what I had to do was just excuse myself from the church. But I literally could not control myself beyond that point. <laughs> and everything's a thousand times funnier. Like, in church or funeral or something or in a like court that. setting i was in, in a, a court, court. <laughs> I, I had a summer job once working in the new york city court system i should write my memoirs yeah <laughs> we, we were visiting a case and uh my my, my my friend who was with me 
he passed me a note, and the note said, there's footprints on the ceiling. <laughs> I just lost it. <laughs> I, I, I could have been in contempt of court at the age of 16, but... <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> so we, somebody must have slipped us a note before we started, you know, this, this footprint's on the ceiling. <laughs> Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, this lady was straight out of central casting. You couldn't cast it better. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, goodness. I mean, was, was it a mass or was it a... Was it a um, oh. uh, no, it wasn't a mass because I think it was it was Good Friday and it was like a penit you know uh, what do they call a penitential it? thing yeah yeah mm -hmm. and oh. he was and and, the, and of of all things I think EWTN was recording it and you know it's a solemn somber day but I, uh, I, I yeah I I, sh I should have just left I, if I if it had occurred to me that's what I would have done but anyway the <laughs> the world the flesh <laughs> and the devil <laughs> I went to one time I went to Chicago. I had business and I went to the exchanges, but I stayed and I went to museums and I went to mass on Sunday morning. Have you ever seen um, the the movie of, uh, uh, what's it called, The Untouchables? Elliot Ness, yes. you know, Costner, um, um, Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so the scene when Kevin Costner and Sean Connery are in, are in that church and Sean Connery gives that great line about if, if they bring a knife, you bring a gun, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're having this in this church. That church is on the near west side of Chicago. Huh. It is the Basilica of Our Lady of Sorrows. And it's one of the most beautiful churches in wow. the United States. And it is huge, enormous. Wow. So I go to Mass there. I go to 8.30 Sunday Mass at this church that seats like a million people or something. It's huge. It's, it, it's now a black church... Hmm. And there were there were six old black ladies. There was an organist who was hmm. playing one of those. What are the not Wurlitzer, but that that uh -huh. specific type of organ that has yeah. that black church tinny. Well, wow. And, oh yeah. And so <laughs> there there's six old black ladies, and me, and the organist, and the <laughs> the whitest old. I don't know if they were Paulist or who, or who it is there that, that has that church. Hmm. But I mean, the whitest white guy in the history of <laughs> ca Caucasiandom is the priest. And he, and he gives this homily. And it was the most surreal thing. Wow. Because the six little old black ladies are, you know, waving their hands and saying mm -hmm. amen. And then the organist is doing the flourishes <laughs> on the no. organ during the homily, you know, the, oh, no. the organ flourishes to support yeah. the, the rhetoric, you know. It was one of the most bizarre experiences wow. of my entire life. And, but it was, I don't that know what surreal. the word to describe. It's, it, the, well, I mean, I understood that they had that organ and, the, you know, the guy knew how to play the organ and that's how you play the organ for the old black ladies. Mm -hmm. But when he started during the homily... Uh, it, it was it was absolutely amazing. There were six of us there, six, seven, eight, nine, counting the priest, in a church. I mean, go go online and look at pictures of this church, Our Lady of Sorrows, on the near west side of Chicago, or just look up look at that scene. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that clip is on YouTube. Wow, this church is absolutely enormous, and there wow. we were all sitting, and it was it was pretty weird. Pretty I've got to watch weird. the Untouchables now. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a pretty decent movie, you know? It it's is, a pretty yeah. decent movie. All right, back to anti-popes. <laughs> we're exiting the, the near west side of Chicago. We are From returning. From mafia, mafia dons to... Um, exactly. We're returning to the, the real corruption in Rome. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one of these anti-popes was a, like a mafia don, and not just one of them. But um, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh, the Great Western Schism happened when Pope... Uh, Urban VI was elected. The Italians during the conclave, my people, my mm -hmm. paisanos, they were making mm -hmm. a big racket. I mean, they were making themselves known during the conclave. They were banging on the doors uh, when the cardinals were electing and um, uh, deliberating, and they were sticking, according to some sources, they were sticking swords through the floor through the floorboards nice. they wanted in it <laughs> they wanted an italian and the reason they wanted an italian was because for the last 70 years the popes had been french and they'd been 
in Avignon. Uh, um, oh, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Greg, Gregory the Eleventh, I guess it was, had brought the papacy back thanks to Saint Catherine of Siena. Mm-hmm. Um, but he died a year and a half later, and so it was the spring of 1378, and you know they were quite vociferous as the Italians can be, and so they elected an Italian, Urban the Sixth. But he turned out to have a, a very different temperament than what the cardinals thought. And he really wanted to, I'll get into more detail on this, but he wanted to deprive them of their kind of cushy existence. So <clears throat> they quickly said, okay, do over. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> remember yep. when you were a kid? Do over. <laughs> yep. Uh, and or they on the ele- golf course, mulligan. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, they elected uh, Cardinal Robert as, uh, an- well, anti-pope Clement Seventh, I believe. And this this cat, I mean, he was a piece of work. As a cardinal, he had commanded troops, and he he basically uh, killed four thousand people when he when he sacked Florence, when he attacked Florence, and um, massacred thousands of people when he took Cesena. Um, maybe I'm confusing Florence with Cesena, but he he had like an army of like four thousand horsemen and. 5,000 infantry when he attacked Florence, and then he massacred the people of Cesena. I mean, of course, that, was, that qualifies you to be the Vicar of Christ, don't you think? Oh, of course it does, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh, man. I mean, that, but that's a question that, you know, again, there's all these parallels with um, especially contemporary American politics with all this. Um, the whole business that, that really started in earnest, not even with Nixon, but with Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. about the whole just impeach everybody, impeach mm-hmm. it, it just no matter what, that that becomes that becomes just a tool of the opposition party is to tie the sitting executive up in in just perpetual ongoing impeachment proceedings. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I, I worry that barring supernatural intervention. Um, that this situation, it's going to be that no matter what happens, because we have had now anti-Pope Bergoglio and, you know, you, I, non-Vinny Mark, lots of other people, and, you know, presumably if, if, you, if you accept the, the, the polls that Frank Walker at Canon 212 has done as being, you know, in the ballpark, in the ballpark of accuracy, 80 to 85% of pew-sitting trad Catholics today um, think that Benedict is the Pope. Um, but I worry that what this is going to do is that if, if this does get resolved, some, you know, let's, let's hypothetically say this gets resolved and you mm-hmm. have a, a real true Pope who is actually Catholic, you know, it's, and all of the Petrine promises, the protections are in place, everything's right. fine. Well, of course, the, you know, the enemies of God and his holy church, the Sodomites, the, the communists, et cetera, et cetera, they're going to be absolutely enraged. And so now, Barring super inter- in- supernatural intervention, I fear that it's just going to be this constant situation that the opposition is just going to be constantly howling anti-pope, anti-pope, anti-pope. Hmm. Um, and, and this, it, I mean, and th- this has already occurred. I mean, nobody listened to anything, you know, the, the leftists never listened to anything Benedict XVI said. They no. never listened to anything orthodox that JP2 said. It was all it was all cafeteria pick and choose da da da, but now of course because the tables have turned have turned and they've got their anti pope in place now it's you have to be in complete one hundred percent lockstep mm-hmm. with everything this guy says or else you're a schismatic you're outside the church you're in mortal sin et cetera et cetera. Um, so I mean, really this paradigm has already existed, but I think that this anti papacy even if, even if it gets resolved here within the next few years, somehow, some way, that what it's setting up is just perpetual howling of anti-pope, anti-pope, anti-pope by the opposition um, that, that still remains on earth. So this is why, this is why we're, we're really hoping that there is some sort of a supernatural component to this, because, oh. From your lips <laughs> to God's ears. Yep, right, right. So, uh. Um, what else do we have here in your notes? Um, heresies also crop up in times of anti-papal antics. Conciliarism, modalism, modernism. Mm-hmm. Would you care to expand on, <laughs> okay. the, on that? Sure, th- <coughs> sure thing. Um, 
Well, for example, um, I, in our first uh, Sunday of Advent class, I will be talking about Antipope Hippolytus, um, who actually wound up becoming an antipope because he thought that the current pope, uh, the first one was Zephyrinus, was a little too uh, soft and not, um, he was molly-coddling um, heresy. Oh, and dear. the heresy was modalism, uh, one of the earliest heresies in the church. And basically, the modalists were hyper, hyper monotheists in the sense that they thought that God he sometimes he appears as the father and sometimes he appears as the son and sometimes he appears as the holy spirit but they're just three different modes of, oh, of his okay yeah. okay it's yeah. like water can be a solid water can be a gas water can be a liquid but there's just water so or Anne has Anne has a denim dress Anne has a red dress <laughs> and Anne has a green dress and it just depends on what she's wearing that day okay. exactly yeah exactly. yeah yeah Okay. Um, All right. So there was, there was, there weren't three persons. There was just one God. There was, you know, three manifestations, so to speak. So, anyway, this you have to understand that this was uh, goodness gracious. This was the end of the second century. So we're <sighs> talking like 150 years after the death of Saint Peter, or less than that. And so it was a time, and again, I'll get into more detail on this. But it was a time in the Roman Empire of almost complete chaos. And we, we have very little records, even church records, from the time that this was going on. So, um, I mean, imagine having to navigate stuff like this without the Council of Trent, without, yeah. the, uh, without even Nicaea, right? Yeah, um, without Nicaea. Oh, <laughs> there's man. No, there's no St. Thomas Aquinas, and there's no St. Augustine. So, wow. um, I forget if it was uh, uh, Fortescue the English church historian, who he might have been the one that said this, but during those early centuries, you know, the first century, second century, third century, um, you know, there people complain that there's, that there's not, you know, clear-cut evidence for the papacy, but there's not clear-cut evidence for the Trinity either. Yeah. Uh, in, fact, the, in fact, there's more evidence for the orthodox view of the papacy than there is for the orthodox view of, um, of the Holy Trinity. But anyway, not to get sidetracked here, but... Hippolytus. So he thought that Zeph the Pope Zephyrinus was just, you know, not. He was treating these guys with kid gloves, and mm -hmm. um, and so when he died, Zephyrinus died, and Pope Callistus, who was his uh, go-to guy, became Pope. Uh, he uh, Hippolytus couldn't couldn't deal with that, and apparently, and again, this is all sketchy and. Uh, fuzzy, but it seems that he was elected a, the first anti-pope, the first rival pope of the of Rome. Okay. Um, and uh, as we're going to see during my uh, course, these guys, you know, f depending on which angle you look at them from, they seem like the good guys. Um, mm -hmm. It's really weird. Um, but ultimately, he does get reconciled to the church, and he is Saint Hippolytus. And it's very wow. appropriate that we should be studying him for Advent because it is Hippolytus who was the first person to say in writing that our Lord was born December 25th. And this mm. is a, a hundred, more than a hundred years before they even celebrated a feast of Christmas. Wow, yeah. my goodness, my goodness. And isn't it interesting that um, he didn't try to start a different church. He just right. tried to declare himself the head of the one true church. Isn't that Good. an interesting precision? Because the Protestants today, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. if, 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 somebody, if somebody gives you a dirty look at, you know, third central <laughs> Baptist church, why, you, you just go off and you start another church, you know? Um, and it was... It was so cohesive back in those days that you, you it was that was just unthinkable. You just you just tried to usurp the papacy, but um, but yeah. it, it, you, you going through this has really struck me on what an absolute miracle it is that the thing didn't fly apart within the first mm -hmm. 150 years. That I mean, yeah, I mean, think about that. They had none of the texts that we just you know take for granted as being almost as being almost foundational. You know, like Nicaea, we we can the Nicene Creed, we we would consider that to be almost foundational, 
and none of those people had that and they managed to hold the thing together yeah. another proof set it seems to me of you know the supernatural protection that it is the one true church and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that these people were scoundrels and knaves and imbeciles as as the as the uh, who said that was it chesterton any any uh any institution uh, conducted with such navis knavish imbecility <laughs> shouldn't have lasted two weeks much less two thousand years i think that's chesterton isn't it i think knavish imbecility that's a (laughs) that's one of my favorite phrases um but it just shows you that 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 in and of itself if you have an open mind and you have a modicum of faith it seems to me that that's pretty obvious that something was going on to hold the whole thing together and and here we are today and a lot of people i mean since since basically the beginning of you know me, you, non-Vinnie Mark, it's been, you know, over five years now that we've been jumping up and down saying, this guy in the Pope, you know, um, that people out there are insisting that, well, there's no precedence for this. There's no precedence for having, you know, um, the real Pope not contesting the anti-Pope. The real Pope you know, giving giving a wink and a nod, or at least or at least staying silent, um, in the face of the anti-pope usurper. Well, this is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Well, <laughs> no kidding, it's unprecedented. Why why does everything have to be precedented? And you know, the thing that cracks me up, and the point I always try to make to this is, yeah, this is this is unprecedented, but. Our Lord also sent his mother multiple times to warn us that vaguely this was going to happen and that we shouldn't expect this, probably precisely because it is so unprecedented and we're going to have to think our way out of this. But yeah, if, if uh, good Pope John Twenty-Third had been obliging enough to release the third secret, right, as, as Our Lady mm-hmm. asked for by 1960, the, mm-hmm. the latest, um, People wouldn't have to listen to you and me yammer on and on for the last five years or whatever, right? Because exactly it, the, the third secret would be public knowledge that yep. that this was this was going to happen. Um, I don't I don't know that. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what the level of detail is. Um, I am skeptical. Who was it? Somebody? What was it? Father Kramer? That they're writing things up and they're saying the third secret, you know, describes in in detail, you know the COVID thing and everything. And I'm like, really, really? I, well, yeah, the, I find the word that plague. hard to believe. Yeah, there was one line. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, I also found myself a little skeptical with that. But um, you got to wonder, I mean, you know, the situation that we're in being, like, as you, as you said, so unprecedented, then um, there must be something in the third secret about what's going down if this is really... As bad well, as I mean, it is. I think doesn't everybody agree? And it, it's open; it's released that apostasy from the top, Rome becoming the seat of the Antichrist. I mean, that's where where all is that? That's not just in Fatima; it's in what Akita and La Salette, and to a certain extent, it's also in Scripture. It's also in mm-hmm. the Book of the Apocalypse. So, and again, I mean, Adv- Advent is when. The liturgical readings direct us to this, by the way. Exactly, exactly. Uh, to kind of prepare us for this, and um, you know, I'm I'm thinking of uh, Father Malachi Martin, um, who allegedly uh, read the Third Secret, uh, thanks to his being associated with Cardinal Bea, uh, who was associated with with John the Twenty Third, and in his book, which is now over thirty years old, the the Keys of This Blood, in the final chapter, um, he. Uh, or the next to final chapter, he, he says that there's three different scenarios that could possibly happen to the future of the church. Are you familiar with that one? No, uh-uh. Um, he says that, um, trying to f- I just picked up my copy here, and I'm trying to, to find uh, what he says. But basically he says something like, there's three possible scenarios that can happen, he says. He says that scenario number one, at some point... Uh, a, a, a validly elected pope will uh, become a heretic and try to destroy the church. Uh, a second possibility is that an invalidly elected pope, an anti-pope, will try mm-hmm. and destroy the church. 
or and then he's got a he's got a third scenario. I can't put my finger on the page right now. But he, basically, he says each of these each of these scenarios is not good. Obviously, yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 it begs the question: How are we going to get out of this mess, which would which would be seemingly un unprecedented and untangleable? Well, not un, un not untangleable. I mean, right. I can visualize, and I was talking again. I was talking to someone earlier this morning about this. That I was asked directly, <coughs> excuse me, what was the um, what happens if what happens if Bergoglio dies? What happens if if Pope Ratzinger dies? Da, mm. da, 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 da. And just reiterating, just from my experience as you know, a business person and you know, leadership, if you want to call it that, or it it seems obvious to me that what really, really, really needs to happen is that the entire College of Cardinals needs to be liquidated and we start over. And when I say liquidated, I don't mean murdered. I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean it in that sense. I mean it in just everybody gets their hats taken, gets sent home, and then you reboot the thing with twelve men, and those men don't even have to be bishops. They could be priests, and you know the truth of the matter is they don't even have to be priests. They could be laymen too, because there there has there have been lay cardinals, um, right in history so but the the point is is that i think you know looking at the situation of the roman curia from like the point of view of of you know a competent business person with leadership qualities i think it's pretty obvious that you have to reboot it and you have to start over because it's just way too far gone way too far gone in terms of personnel um and so I mean, you you can you can sit down, and that's just my my sitting down and brainstorming on it. Maybe other people have other ideas in terms of path for, in, in terms of possible paths forward. Mm -hmm. The problem is when we get ourselves locked into this mindset of that you have to stay one hundred percent within whatever exactly the paradigm is right now, this very second. There has to be historical precedent for everything. Well, okay, you've just shot yourself in the foot right there. Because if you're, if you're living in a situation that is unprecedented, which this obviously is, that means by definition that you are paralyzed, that you can't do anything. And we know that's wrong. So right. it, it just takes people with virility and leadership and you know men who are willing almost it, it's very militaristic this is a very military war footing type of a situation you right. need men with leadership to step to the front and say all right here's what we're going to do and then just lead everybody forward and that's what we're all sitting around waiting for and praying for because you know i can't do it and even Dr. Matza with, with the with the highfalutin letters after his name, he can't do it either. So <laughs> we no, continue we need, to pray. Uh, we need our yeah, we need to pray and ask our lady's intercession with our Lord mm -hmm. to help us here. Um, because uh, yeah, uh, as you as you say, um, d d the fact that there's no precedent for it doesn't mean that we can't take God guided action. Right. You know, according to what our state in life is or what our position in the church is. And I'm hoping that our study of the history of the antipopes will show what a great variety of situations that there were. And, and at the time that this was going on, the people didn't have a precedent for it. So yeah. they, they, they had to just, um, guided by the Holy Spirit or not, do, do what they did. Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to see how that, how that all, you know, panned out. Um, so that that leads to another question. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is spoiling too much. Every single previous anti-papacy, I mean, this question kind of answers itself. Mm -hmm. They all resolved. They all resolved um, all but one. Anacletus II died in, died in usurped office. But mm -hmm. I mean, all the rest of them resolved within the life of the anti-pope, right? They, they resolve one way or another. Uh, either the antipope died, or he was reconciled to the church before he died, or uh, in, in the case of the Great Western Schism, uh, the the real pope resigned, and the other two antipopes either right. died or uh, willingly gave up whatever they thought they were doing. Were um, any of them? And this is a serious question. I'm not being snarky or anything. Were any of them? Were any of the antipopes assassinated? Good question. Uh, not the ones that I've been looking at. 
Yeah, but, that's um, not ringing a bell for me either. I don't think yeah. any of them were assassinated. But there were assassinations, of, of course, in the history of the papacy. And, oh, yes. Uh, usually, oh, usually, yes. <laughs> usually popes. Poison, right? Uh, yeah, yeah poison usually popes. And, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, goodness, goodness. All right. Let me say, have we covered... Have we covered enough without giving too much away? Is there anything else in your in your bullet points that you want to? You know what you should do is you should mm -hmm. go through the full details, um, what time of day, how much it costs, how to pay, all that. Yeah. All righty. So you just go to edmundmaza.com, uh, and uh, the first post that's up there is Advent with Antipopes, and to enroll it's ninety nine dollars. We're running a special this week. And what else? The videos are recorded so that if you miss class, you can watch the video at your leisure. Uh, but the live and what class, time is the live? Yeah, yeah. The live class is at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific on the Sundays of Advent. Okay, okay. Very good. And what's your, we, we've all been kicked off, everyone, everyone I know has been kicked off of PayPal now. Um, yeah. So you, but you have a new, it's not PayPal, but it's a online payment mm -hmm. thing. What, people just have to put in a credit card number or? Uh, exactly. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's pretty much just like PayPal. And uh, I'm now taking international uh, enrollments as well. Oh, nice. So um, no matter where you are in the world, you can be part of Advent with Antipopes. If someone would like to snail mail you a uh, a a a check, which uh, I don't, I haven't even seen a check in years. Um, <laughs> if someone would like to send you a check, is that possible? Can they do that? You have a that PO box is. or something? Uh, I I well I I'm sort of in between PO boxes, but um, I also have. Uh, uh, I, I, I used to have a show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Mm -hmm. uh, so if someone is really desperate and wants to snail mail me, uh, they can write to me, care of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Uh, and the address is 126 South 5th Street. And that would be Covina, California. With a K or a C? Uh, a C. C-A-V-I-N-A. Uh, okay. Let's see here. C-O-V-I-N-A, California. Oh, okay. 91723. 9021. Oh, I'm sorry. Every California zip code for my for me now is 90210. 90210. 91723. Okay, got it. Got it, got it. Okay, cool. All right. Anything else? Any final thoughts for the for the listenership? A big thank you to you and to Super Nerd for allowing me to uh, promote my uh, agenda here. <laughs> oh, it's always a pleasure. We love having you on. You know that. Absolutely. And I'm back to uh, help with the wrap up. Hey, there he is. Uh, hey. <laughs> jumping in there, jumping in. All right. Well, Super Nerd, uh, I shall toss it to you for the wrap up. All right. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or any good news items for wrapping up the podcast. <clears throat> Or any good news Cecilia, items for wrapping Cecilia. up the podcast, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors, and at least one mass is said every single day for all the mm -hmm. benefactors. And of course, one uh, traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass uh, is said for everybody who died in the previous week. And even though uh, we may not know people personally dying from these things, if you were to go to Google News and search on the, the words sudden cardiac death mm -hmm. every single day and multiple times a day, that's updating. Yeah. And uh, that's a topic we'll get into on the next podcast, I'm sure. Right. Uh, if you take a moment and um, join your intentions with the priests who are celebrating these masses, um, please pray for the priests. Um, yeah. Whether they are going down the track of being becoming an anti-pope at some point, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if uh, Dr. Maz is going to get to that, um, to, the, to the 1980s, to, to the, the 2000s, where some set of Acontis priests have set up themselves as pope. Um, but there are some good priests who come to bad conclusions and uh, we need to pray for them because that is yet another way that uh, the devil gets them into a state where they really can't help as much. They, they self marginalize themselves. So please keep them all the priests in your prayers. Uh, and don't forget that uh, we have a, uh, a patron here at the podcast. Don't forget to pray to St. Tiny princess. The priest definitely helped her, uh, gave her, gave her confirmation um, mm -hmm. and got a lot of prayers from, from, uh, from the priests as well. 
And I'd like to recognize a couple of donors since the last podcast. Uh, obviously, the, there's no more PayPal. Uh, I think we talked about that last time. Um, we nothing, just mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, yeah nothing yeah. nothing through the mailbox, mainly because I haven't checked it. Uh, there might be donations there right now. I don't know. It, if there is, we'll, we'll cover that on the next podcast later this week. Um, two, two donations uh, through Amazon. I wanted to thank uh, Kathleen and Rick. And that wraps up. Nothing via Bitcoin at this point in time. By the way, if you are have been listening to my uh, recommendations to get a different podcasting app like uh, Podverse or some of the other podcasting 2.0 uh, podcasts, this podcast now supports streaming sats payment, which Anne probably is looking at her, at her computer going, what? What? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll explain that at a later time. But uh, it, this is something that's way more geeky than anything else. Uh, probably this isn't the target audience for it, but there might be three or four people who are, are into that. Uh, and if you do, then um, as you lessen, then you can stream sats, which is one ten millionth of a, a Bitcoin. I can talk about this at a later time. Um, for now, we probably should pass it over to Anne for Matthew 17.20. Well, um, most apropos for this for this episode, um, praying every day, fasting twice a week if you can, um, and praying every day without cessation are fourfold intention: that Bergoglio be recognized and removed as anti-pope, and the whole thing be nullified; that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of two thousand five that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, not praying to hasten anyone's death here, because sinners, all of us, we need all the time we can get, and that he someday achieves the beatific vision, and that finally, likewise, Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of anything that he might need to repent of, that he die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, Slayer of the Pachamama Demon, pray for us. Amen. Pray for us. Amen. And on behalf of Dr. Mazza, I am Supernerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. A podcast without tangents is just boring.